I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. years ago, the ALS Association's Ice Bucket Challenge became a viral sensation on the internet and raised $115 million to fight the progressive neurodegenerative disease. Now those doused donors are seeing concrete results from the money they gave. A recent paper in Nature Genetics reported on the identification of a new gene that is a contributor to ALS, a finding that was funded in part from Ice Bucket Challenge money and could lead to new therapies. We spoke to Lucy Brown, chief scientist of the ALS Association, about the findings, their significance, and lessons for other disease groups seeking to accelerate research. Lucy, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. It's good to be here today. We're going to talk about ALS, the unexpected success it had raising money through its Ice Bucket Challenge, and some significant research findings that are providing tangible results from the campaign. Let's start with ALS itself. For people who may not be familiar with the disease, what is it? How common is it? How, how does it progress? And, and what treatment options are available today? Uh, happy to describe. So ALS, or motor neuron disease, uh, is a disease in which the cells in the brain and the spinal cord are dying, and they are important. They are called um, motor neurons, nerve cells, and they have uh, very exquisite projections, very long connections with muscles. So the important thing is that these cells um, help us breathe, help us walk, help us talk, um, and these are the cells that are dying uh, together with other accompanying cells surrounding them. And so in ALS, uh, within, on average, although everyone has a slightly different story to tell, uh, the disease can progress quite quickly in between two to five years. Some live uh, longer than that. Um, however, it is very devastating. And uh, certainly uh, people with, the, with ALS might initially start by having slurred speech, uh, inability to swallow, or they might uh, manifest with the inability to walk well or drop the cup as they try to pick up something, or when they're doing sports where they were very good before, they would be tripping. Um, so any of those signs can can initially start uh, the appearance of ALS, and then how quickly it progresses it differs from one person to the other, but ultimately it's the breathing that is affected. So it's a really devastating uh, disorder of the brain and spinal cord, for which at the moment, sadly, there is only really one treatment, Rilutec, that changes the disease progression by a few months. That said, I would say that there are, are several approaches to helping manage the disease, to make people with the disease uh, more comfortable. We're ha working hard towards improving communication technology. So there are lots of things that people with ALS um, should know about and, and should be encouraged to contact the ALS Association and learn more. Many people who may not have been familiar with ALS may know about it as a result of the Ice Bucket Challenge, which was all the rage on the web as people posted videos from them dunking a bucket of ice water on their heads tied to a fundraising effort for ALS research. What was the origin of that campaign? That was completely social networking. It was driven by uh, people living with the disease, Pat Quinn and Peter Freites, 
um, who are really, uh, really brave people who had the initiation. I think it's something, it certainly is something that had started earlier in other uh, sports areas, but it didn't take off in quite the same way. And it was Pat Quinn and Peter Freites that get credit for having sent this completely viral. So within a month, uh, we were recipients of an unbelievable amount of funding. Uh, how, how much did the NLS Association raise and, and how unexpected were the results of that campaign and its viral well, nature? Complete, yes, completely unexpected. I mean, $115 million within the month of August, and certainly nobody had anticipated that kind of uh, worldwide enthusiasm from people in all walks of life and in all kinds of important and, and lesser positions. So it was quite remarkable. And rel- relative to the types of funding we've seen go into this disease, how, how significant was that? Well, for a for an in, a boost at one time point into the ALS organization, that was tremendously significant. I mean, we've been able to threefold increase our, our spending annually um, for ALS, at least for the, the period of time that we have this robust opportunity. Um, and certainly we also do have to put it in perspective, though, that it takes one to two billion to develop a treatment for not only ALS, but any disease. Um, so it's, it's only a part of what it will take. Um, but I think it's an incredibly uh, uh, fantastic opportunity for us to capitalize on. And through our research programs, we've taken the approach to take on board many different initiatives we could not have done um, and try and see them to at least closer fruition, bring things closer uh, to building treatments and a therapy for the disease. And then in so doing, we're also engaging partners to then further these discoveries and how put more funds into it. So it's really leveraging with an incredible amount that came to us to do much more than we've ever done before. How has the money been used to date? How much has gone to research and how much has gone to other initiatives? So at this point, uh, speaking of research in particular, over 50 million has been committed. By that, it means that we have programs from one to two to three years. So these are over time. A uh, significant amount of the research funds have been committed already um, with the intent that the balance of the research funds will be um, enable us to further what we've invested in to make sure we get it closer to treatment. So we really have, have uh, spent almost two-thirds of what we assigned of the $77 million to research. The ALS Association recently announced that research should help fund with monies raised during the Ice Bucket Challenge, one of four global alliances that the ALS Association funded with Ice Bucket Challenge monies, has identified a new gene associated with ALS. This is the NEC1 gene. What is the significance of this finding? Well, I think there are multiple things. I think one is that it really coincidentally um, was was identified. Well, the identification has happened a little earlier, but the publication of it came out quite coincidentally in the time frame of the Ice Bucket Challenge. Um, but I think it tells a really exciting story on, on many fronts. Firstly, I would just emphasize this is certainly not yet a treatment. A gene for us means that it's a new approach that we can think about how the disease might be happening. And we believe it might be associated in up to 3% of all of ALS, all important things, um, and a lot more to be done to make sure that we understand how we might be able to intervene with this target. But the real interest, I think, that the timing was such that it came at the time of the anniversary of the Ice Bucket Funds, but it also tells a very human story. It was indeed Pat and, and uh, uh, Pat Quinn and Peter Freites that drove the social media campaign, and a lot of credit should go to Bernard Muller, living with ALS, who was really, together with a clinician colleague, Leonard Vandenberg, 
drove the idea of Project Mine. And Project Mine, a global initiative, uh, the U.S. arm and John Landers, Dr. John Landers, who did the study here in the U.S., uh, joined a little later and actually joined because we could actually afford to pay for it through Ice Bucket Funds. Um, this is really a collaboration with 80 investigators and 11 different countries. So it shows you the global nature of the initiative, and many of these initiatives now are moving in that direction. It shows what people with the disease themselves can do to stimulate research. And Bernard Muller is a real entrepreneur in this. He also now uh, developed a company where he's developing with teams of experts uh, new treatment approaches. So I think it goes beyond just the, the gene discovery, which is important. It's an important step. It's by no means a treatment, and a lot will need to be done to understand how this gene is involved. Um, and there are others, other genes that are coming along the way. But it really tells a, a great story of how we can all uh, globally uh, make an impact on this disease. You've said this is an example of the value of big data. Can, can you talk about the value of having access to large biorepositories and what lessons there might be there for this and others concerned about other rare diseases? Absolutely. So I think one of the realities, and I, I expressed that when trying to explain very briefly on the time I have, um, what the disease looks like and just hearing about it, that it could first be that your, your speech is affected or, or your um, ability to move is affected. The variety and the complexity of ALS tells us that, us that it's not going to be a simple one drug will solve it all. And for us to be able to understand better on as to how we might uh, divide the, the, the disease into groups of people that could respond to one approach versus another, we need to understand more about the heterogeneity of the disease. And so big data enables us to get a lot of information, um, and this could be information regarding the protein makeup, uh, the genetic makeup, um, how the uh, genes are transcribed into proteins, and also the clinical changes. So we call it phenotype, how a person's disease manifests over time. All of that information from everything from the patient, uh, how they uh, respond to things and the environment, as well as their internal makeup in this at the cellular level, that's all the big data that we can collate by getting uh, people involved in these kinds of initiatives. And then through clever technologies, through analyzing the data that we have there, we might be able to see a pattern of how one group of people are more similar to another and then decide which ones are more likely to respond to which kind of treatment approach. And that is not so new. I mean, ALS is not the pioneer in this. The cancer field has been an expert in this kind of um, arena because not, not one cancer is the same as another. And in fact, we know that the same treatment for one cancer won't work in another cancer. In terms of expanding our understanding of of ALS, how, how does the NEC1 gene fit in with other genes that have been identified being implicated in the disease? And do, does this move us closer towards any type of a treatment? So firstly, I would say this is a really new finding, so we can only surmise, and there have been some nice early studies uh, done to try and explore this, and, and potentially uh, it could be involved in mitochondrial pathology, um, which we know are involved in the disease. I would, would uh, be guarded to speculate too much until we really find out more. But to do this, for example, we've started to build model systems uh, with the investigators that will explore this, and uh, many others will start to explore it now. It certainly 
is associated with quite a, a large number of patients, not, not as large as our finding several years ago, the C9-ALT72 gene, which one in 10 people carry that mutation. But I do think it's going to add to the uh, growing understanding that there are, are groups of, of genes involved in the disease that might have similarities. So I think there's still a lot to be done before we speculate too much about this. And it's the first step in, in exciting uh, uh, experiments that will now be done. But having this out there for the community to, to know about it will certainly expedite a research in this area. Project MINE is one of four global alliances that the ALS Association has helped to fund. What do you see as the advantage of working through global alliances? So we the, the four are the ones that we first announced, um, and certainly we are continuing to build on these kinds of concepts. Uh, I think the, the real reality is that it doesn't matter where these discoveries come from. Um, anything that can move the needle on understanding how the disease works and how we can treat it uh, would be an, an incredibly important step for the disease. And so we know it takes a lot of different expertise. It takes clinicians. It takes scientists. It takes mathematicians who can think about clever algorithms to improve the pace that we do clinical trials. And so really by bringing in teams of people that we would not have thought maybe would, would uh, have such a knowledge uh, or, or interest in the disease uh, makes a huge difference. And so by bringing experts together from different arenas and from different backgrounds and also, in fact, bringing people with the disease from different areas. We know in some regions, one gene is more prominent than another. We know in the Netherlands that the very prominent mutation in North America, the SOD1 gene, is not present in the Dutch population. And we know that there are areas where the C9 mutation is more robust. So it needs to be global and it needs to benefit from everyone's expertise. And I don't think that anyone can work in this disease in isolation. And so that's why we think that the bigger and the more cohesive our uh, collaborative uh, initiatives, the more successful we will be. As funding of biomedical research remains under pressure, are there any lessons to be learned from your experience with the Ice Bucket Challenge? Did you get lucky or are there things that other organizations could replicate to continue funding needed research? I think it's fair to say that we got very lucky. And thanks to Peter, to Pat, to everyone else who, who should get credit for that social media, we got lucky. We, we can't tell you a formula of how it's done. Um, just the fact that this week we've had such attention because of NEC1 and the Ice Bucket Challenge, uh, it's, it's people's interest is driven by stories that are meaningful and uh, people telling their story with such a de devastating disease like ALS, that makes a huge impact. And that's what drives a lot of this interest. We have to be careful because I know uh, some might think that this is a, a breakthrough and it's certainly a big step in the next direction, but it's not yet the treatment. It's not yet the cure. Um, I think that if there are any lessons learned is that it's amazing what social media can do. It's amazing what media can do. And it's wonderful if we can drive it in a positive direction to really put this on the map and give hope to people um, that, that, that are so desperate for treatments. And we might say, well, gosh, this is such a rare disease and why the attention, or maybe the gene mutation is only in potentially 3%. But, you know, one thing is it's not quite so rare as we might think. Um, we can liken it to multiple sclerosis. Um, but because people with ALS don't live as long, it's, it's see, we don't see it, um, you know, as frequently. Um, and also, in fact, at a certain stage, the lifetime risk of ALS is one in 300. So it's not so rare. Um, my message to anyone uh, who is, is, is wanting attention and, and funding for their disease 
is tell the human story because it's all about people living with the disease. Lucy Brown, Chief Scientist of the ALS Association. Lucy, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.